Hi there, and welcome back to the Energy Sector Heroes podcast. My name is Michelle Fraser, and every week I will speak with incredible people who share their lessons, experiences, and stories from their time spent in the energy sector. Hi there, and welcome back again to this week's episode. If you're new to the show, then please take a second to subscribe and even consider sharing the show with just one other person. This week, I am joined by Rod Matthews. Rod is an incredible CEO of Brethian Energy. Rod, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hello. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. You have a great show, and I am more than happy to be a part of it. Again, I am Rod Matthews. We founded Brevian Energy about four years ago, and our core focus is bringing renewable energy technologies to communities who really can't afford to deploy them on their own. Either they live in areas where there are a lot of apartment complexes, there is subsidized housing, or quite frankly, they just can't afford to deploy these technologies. So we look to come in a look at projects like that where we can bring these technologies in in mass scale to communities to help them get energy that's more affordable, more resilient, and more than anything, much more sustainable by reducing greenhouse gas emissions. Okay, that sounds amazing, actually. So what made you go into that? Because that's quite an incredible initiative that you've taken. It is Well, just a little bit of history about me. I started out in the United States Navy. I did nine years stint there as an electronics technician, got out of the Navy and uh, started working as a network engineer. And my networking career kind of evolved to, you know, working with data centers and helping them kind of get a handle on their carbon footprint, uh, reduce their uh, energy usage. And in that process, I was introduced to microgrids. And uh, when I kind of learned about them, I was, you know, amazed at the power and the flexibility and the kind of freedom they give you and to get electricity really anywhere. As I became more immersed in that, I saw, you know, the technology, you know, solar being deployed more, more rapidly being adopted, particularly here on the West Coast where we are. I'm in California, but I was seeing communities of concern, what I like to call them or underserved communities, people in those communities weren't don't, didn't have the wherewithal or the resources to deploy these technologies. Uh, so just recently here with the under the Biden administration, there are a few there was some legislation that was passed, uh, in particular, the bipartisan infrastructure law and also the Inflation Reduction Act that had a lot of funding to aid in the transition to these new technologies for these communities who as again, as I mentioned previously, don't have the resources to do them. So that has been really our core focus is to bring these technologies to those communities because uh, there's nobody really uh, focusing on that right now. Okay. So what made you focus on that? Because it is quite amazing. I, I mean, I've been to America quite a few times and it never really seems like there is communities like that. Yeah. I mean, because if you come to America, you come as a tourist. And those aren't communities that you go and take tours of. So you wouldn't see those, which is why we are dedicating resources to that because, because people don't see them as important. That's why we want to make that our duty to make it important. Because frankly, I come from those communities. 
you know, I was born and raised in communities like that. So, I mean, that, that is where our focus is, is, is going to be. And the, the, the great thing about it is we can still do pro- be profitable, we can still do well as a business by doing good in the community. And I think this is a great time where those two uh, kind of uh, ideas converge of being profitable and doing good. So we're just excited about the opportunities that await us. Okay. So you were saying this was a new initiative that your president had had taken in. That is correct. Yeah. So what initiative was that? Can you tell me more about that? Well, in 2021, uh, President Biden you know, started introducing legislation that would help to bolster our, our aging infrastructure here in the United States. And those initiatives were more aimed at, you know, municipalities, cities, uh, local governments to help, you know, bring in renewable energy services, bring in, you know, fix our bridges and increase our, you know, our access to bandwidth, uh, things like that to bolster our our infrastructure. And then shortly thereafter, the Inflation Reduction Act was passed into law, which, you know, set aside, you know, about $300 billion dollars to effectively remake our electricity infrastructure. And that was more targeted towards individuals and companies. So we see in, with seeing those two initiatives put in place, along with there's several other funding coming from a greenhouse gas reduction fund that are that is aimed to help reduce greenhouse gases that are emitted. And a lot of that money is, is targeted towards communities as well. And then there was an initiative called the Justice 40 initiatives, where at least 40% of all of the funding that's made available for these programs is earmarked to go to communities of concern. Okay, excellent. So what do you think is going to be the most challenging aspect about bringing renewable energy to those? Unfortunately, here in America, there is, we have a problem of getting actually connected to the grid to get there's a queue to wait sometimes three to four years before your project can even get connected to the grid, uh, which is why um, what we do is so important because we have the ability to deliver energy to people, particularly in new situations that doesn't necessarily require the grid. We can supply your power until the grid becomes available. And when the grid becomes available, it's effectively just a backup or a way you can inject uh, your excess energy into the grid to, you know, build a revenue stream. But as far as your need for power, we can satisfy that need for power by doing a microgrid or semantically, if you're not connected to the larger grid, you are, you have a mini grid instead of a microgrid. A microgrid is grid connected. So just for semantic purposes. Okay. So is it why is it quite hard to get connected to the main grid then? You know, that's a great question, which is we've been asking the same thing. Why is it so hard to do so? That's a process that's managed by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC. And as a matter of fact, just this past week, they announced some changes that is supposed to speed up that process. We do have, you know, the great thing about some of these community-based prop programs they get, you know, per se, head of the line privileges or they get priority status when it comes to making those connections above just your average commercial project. But, you know, nonetheless, 
there's still a wait time. And, you know, that is, that is, I think is one of our biggest challenges that, and also transmission between grid segments, the regional grid segments, we need, you know, more transmission capabilities. Okay. So why do you need more transmission authorities? Well, in a centralized model, which, you know, we mostly have right now, you have a power plant that generates electricity, you know, for, you know, areas that could be three in a three, 400 mile radius. It's, it's generating powerful. And that power has to be, you know, stepped up and it's, you know, it's more efficient to transmit that power over high speed lines uh, or it's not high speed, but, you know, high, high power lines. So they step up the power and, and voltage and, you know, they string lines, you know, basically across the country to connect these regions. And that's, that's the problem. We don't have enough transmission or we don't have enough lanes on the highway in order to allow power to flow effectively in a centralized model, which is why we look at decentralization or local generation by placing these microgrids in areas where the power doesn't have to be transmitted from 300 miles away. It can be generated locally, thereby uh, making it more efficient and not, you know, putting all those electrons on the grid. We can just generate all that stuff locally. Okay. So effectively, the problem is with the transmission, you can just equate it to a scenario with the highway. During rush hour traffic, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty tough to move because you don't have enough lanes available. So if we added more lanes available, then we can have electricity moving much more freely between these regions and thereby reducing the cost because it's all about supply and demand. When you have a huge demand for the power and not enough of supply, that's when the power, that's when the rates increase dramatically. Okay. I did understand that, yeah. So was it hard setting up a business doing this, what you're doing just now? I mean, it's always, uh, you know, you have the difficulties of any business in general, you know, setting up any business is difficult. You got to have your business model. You got to understand who your customers are. You have to, you know, develop processes and, you know, efficiencies to uh, be able to provide the services or goods that you are able to produce. Uh, And for us, quite the same, you know, for us, we started the business right before COVID, which, you know, wasn't a very opportune time to start a business, but it did give us the opportunity to kind of hone in on our business model and, kind of select the correct partners who we're going to be deploying services with. It was time to conduct quite a few interviews to make sure that we were delivering services that customers actually wanted. Uh, And even with that here, just recently, you know, we've got an opportunity to pivot on what we were, what we were doing. Our initial core focus was on commercial and industrial projects, but uh, in our working with these and seeing in the state of renewable energy for these underserved communities, we decided to pivot our business and really kind of make that our core focus. Okay. Did you find it hard setting up a business during during COVID? Yes and no. Uh, Yes, from the fact that you couldn't see anybody in person, you know, that made it, you know, somewhat difficult. But no, from the fact that since 
nobody could see each other in person. Everybody developed virtual processes that, you know, made it where I didn't have to run all over everywhere. I can get most of the stuff done on the computer. So it was kind of a blessing and a curse at the same time. Okay. Have you ever encountered any any disasters? What's your biggest problems that you've faced? Because it is quite a unique idea, actually. I've not talked to anybody that has the same, that's uh, delivering the same the same services that you're doing. So I actually find it really commendable, actually, that you're actually doing this, because it is really a good, a good initiative, actually. Thank you. Well, for us, I mean, as with anything, starting a business is always difficult. You know, identifying your first customer to and to go with you. Also, you know, we are delivering services for people who are who have been traditionally underserved. Right. So there's not a lot of people clamoring to help these individuals. Fortunately, with the latest legislation that has passed and there have been some, you know, grant opportunities uh, that have been focused on these. That's how we've been trying to, you know, diversify our capital stack to include public and private money to get these projects funded. Okay. So have, did you find it quite difficult to find, to find customers? No, I mean, to find a customer is not the problem. Right. There are a lot of communities that can use these services. So finding customers is not the problem. Creating the right situation where these can be successful is really the problem. You have to form, you know, relationships with, you know, different community organizations. You have to form relationships with different, you know, training organ organizations. You know, what we do is include, you know, training and workforce education into the projects that we do. So when we come into a community, we want to train the people of the community how to deploy and maintain these services. We want to uh, make an impact in these communities. We don't just want to come in and set up something and, and walk away. We want to be able to make a complete impact on these communities, you know, from lowering their bills to giving them, you know, usable skills after we leave. Okay, but did you find it hard to to get the support from these? Um... Uh, it's very difficult. Yeah, it, it's not easy. No, not at all. You know, you'll find, number one, we have to go in and convince the people of those communities that we are here to help. That's first and foremost, I mean, because we have to, we're advocating on their behalf. So we identify these these programs and we can't just show up one day and say, Hey, we're here to help. So that means we have to be engaged in these communities. So we have to have people that are at their neighborhood meetings and be able to go in and explain what we're trying to do. Because from what we've seen, people really don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. So, you know, we have to come in and, you know, let the people know that we're here to, we're here to help because we care about their situation. Okay. So do you really have to take a different approach when you're trying to to involve to involve these type of communities then? That is correct. Yeah. Cuz we're not we we have to be seen as a partner to them and not just a company there to exploit them like everybody else. But that must be really difficult though. Cuz they must have a lot yeah. of barriers up. I would think so. It's not again it's not an easy process, but we consider it a labor of love. Okay. 
I think it's incredible, actually, what you're doing. I thought these organisations that you would be wanting help from, because you did mention you were wanting to partner up with some companies that would help you with training and, and so forth. I thought mm-hmm. that they'd be quite, quite keen to help you. It's quite surprising that they would be, you would have to go so, jump through so many hoops to get to get them on board with you. I mean, well, it, it, with anything, you know, when you're starting something, nobody knows who you are. People are like, you know, who, who, are, who are you guys? <laughs> you know, so, you know, once we have, you know, a lot more, we've done a hundred projects under our belt. And we've had news clippings on, about us and all that, you know, people will be coming to us. But at this point, you know, we're relatively new in the process. So, you know, we just have to take the time to educate people on what we're doing. And they have to be able to see that our uh, intentions and motives are genuine. And we're not just out to exploit people. So we're out to actually help transition these communities into the new revolution of, you know, this is the, the new Internet. This is the new industrial revolution. Our whole grid is going to be remade over the next 10 to 15 years. It's going to happen. And we are dead set on helping these communities transition just like everybody else, because not a lot of people have put a lot of emphasis on that. But with the recent bills that are passed, particularly here in America, on the West Coast, on the, in the Northeast of our country, these renewable technologies, you know, have been adapted, you know, pretty wholeheartedly. But you see in the South and the Southeast, you don't see a lot. In the Midwest, you don't see a lot. So there's been an emphasis to help deploy these technologies in those areas in a quest to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Okay, so why do you not see a lot of them in the in these in these areas then? Some of it is regional or cultural attitudes. Some of it, quite frankly, is political. You know, the West Coast and the northeast of our country have more liberal kind of attitudes towards things, or you know, you'll see more of the coastal kind of areas more liberal in their thinking. Whereas in the South and the Southeast and in our Midwest is more conservative, which here in America, the conservative kind of means you don't really believe in climate change or it's not an emphasis or not a priority for you. And those kind of attitudes and thoughts are kind of are pervasive in those areas, which is why they haven't haven't been an adaption of renewable energy technologies in mass plus Particularly in the South, a lot of oil, a lot of the revenues that are that are coming in are particularly like in Texas and you know southern parts of Louisiana and Alabama, off those coasts. There are big oil rigs and oil refineries, and so a lot of their revenue is generated off of oil. So you know, renewable energy is a threat to that revenue stream. So, as a matter of fact, in the states of Texas and I think in the state of Florida, they made it a law. That if your company has decided to divest in oil and gas investments, then you can't do business in that state. No, really? (laughs) Yeah, really. That's quite shocking, actually. I mean, no, it's not shocking. No, I think if you're you're familiar with American politics, it's not shocking at all. I think that's really shocking. If you're you're familiar with American politics, it's not. (laughs) Wow. 
It may be shocking if you're not from America, but if you're from America and, and familiar with American politics, it's not shocking at all. I'm speechless. I <laughs> maybe not so much. Wow. I kind so, of. So those are the attitudes that we're dealing with when we are talking about deploying renewable energy technologies in, you know, in those areas that we talked about. Okay. I'm still speechless. <laughs> How would companies even get around that situation? Well, you're seeing, well, I know particularly in West, in the Western areas of Texas, they've deployed a lot of wind turbines because, you know, it's pretty windy out in those areas of West Texas. Mm. But we've been seeing flaws in that, you know, just recently here, this has been the hottest year on record worldwide. I don't know what your weather conditions are like where you are, but I know here in America, uh, pretty much all over the country, except for thankfully here in uh, Southern California, the temperatures have been at record levels. So I forgot where I was going. We skipped that. What was the question again? I was still thinking about what you were saying before, actually. I can't even believe that. That was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Governor Abbott in Texas and Governor DeSantis of Florida have both made those proclamations. I can't even believe that. Yeah. Again, if you were familiar with American politics, that would not be surprising to you at all, particularly from those two people. Okay. But would that even... Would that even mean that it would be hard for for the America for America to even embrace a renewable energy? Then, if the I mean, because there are two diametrically opposed views when it comes to these technologies here in America, and again, it mostly falls down political lines, right? Democrat, Republican, most of the Republican Party, for the most part, you know or climate change deniers, for the most part, not everyone, but as far as the policies they adopted, you know, they wanted to get us out of the Paris Accord. You know, they don't believe in cafe standards and, you know, they they believe in drill, baby drill for oil. It's all about oil and gas, oil, oil, oil. I heard that, actually. I have heard that. But do you think that that means that America maybe because everybody has gone on about their, how they've got to have their net zero by twenty thirty five or something, mm-hmm. and that's really going to be that's really going to make that maybe pretty non-existent then, or really hard for America. Now, it's different states have different mandates, right? So not everybody has that mandate. Okay, I guarantee you, Texas doesn't have that mandate. Wyoming doesn't have that mandate. North Dakota doesn't have that mandate. Okay. Because those their economies are based in large part due to oil and gas. So no, they're not gonna have those mandates. California, however, you know, there's that mandate. You know, and even in the individual cities, here in California, we have a movement that most of the municipalities are moving to what's called CCAs or community choice aggregators. That's when these municipal municipalities come together and form joint partnerships to, in essence, become the utility company. So they buy power wholesale on the wholesale market and they get it distributed by the local investor-owned utility and they serve on behalf of the people through these CCAs. Supposedly it saves money, but primarily it is to ensure the 
amount of renewable technologies that they have in their portfolio by those certain dates that we talked about. Okay. I'm still thinking about what you told me before. I still can't. <laughs> I think that's probably one of the most, I think that's probably the most shocking thing that, I've, that anybody's told me, actually. I can't even believe that. I'm going to ask yeah. you else. I can't even, oh my goodness. You were saying before you were going to offer these communities training. What kind of training are you going to be offering them? I mean, there's, you know, the construction trades because, you know, you have to put down the, the panels from a construction standpoint, driving spikes in the ground, putting up posts, pouring concrete, that kind of stuff. So there's a construction aspect. And then there's the electrical trades to understand how to connect the panels and connect them to inverters and, you know, the control systems and program the batteries and all of that. So there is that training, understanding basic electricity, being electricians, and also construction training. Okay, so you're gonna are you gonna be offering them jobs to actually help them build the renewable energy then? That is correct. What we do, we work in conjunction with, you know, we develop these projects and you know, we work with some of the local unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers who have these workforce partnership programs that can help us build them out using that using the local talent that's in the in the area. Okay. And do you think you're going to get a lot of people? I'm pretty sure you will get a lot of people that's going to be willing to take you up on that offer for the training so they could, because it's creating jobs in a community that there might be. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's like we, we look to partner with local community colleges. You know, again, most of this stuff is all about partnerships, you know, identifying, you know, the right stakeholders to partner with in these projects and, you know, going in with the plan to execute. Okay. It's very important that we get, you know, buy-in from the community. So we have, you know, most in most cases in these communities, there's some sort of neighborhood improvement type organization that we can work with mm-hmm. to come in and set up these programs. So, and, and they know the stakeholders in that community. So we really go, you know, pitch our program to them. We form those alliances we bring those, you know, to the respective cities and, you know, we make those relationships go from there. Okay. So is it quite hard to to make a pitch to these type of organizations and to the stakeholders? I know. Well, in most part, there's no one else really doing that for them. So the fact that we are identifying areas to reach out to help them, you know, they're all for it in most cases. Okay. And, and they already have the relationship with the people of the community. So, you know, we get with them, and they kind of get with the the people of the community. You know, we set up, you know, an event to, you know, kind of come out and make them aware of what we're trying to do to get buy-in from the entire community. And really that's that's the key to make all of this work. So it can't just be us. We can't just go in and say, this is what we want. We have to uh, go in and help these communities say what they want. Okay. So this can really change these communities' lives then, the way that... That's- that's the whole goal. But that is quite amazing, though. That is quite amazing. How do you describe your typical working week? That's what I'm going to ask you. Okay. So for us, you know, we are always, you know, working with our guys who are out in the field, who are making these relationships. You know, we're checking on them. Training is a big part of what we do. So we do a lot of training during the week. We 
uh, look at what existing projects are there. You know, we're following up on those. We have a project manager team who is responsible for, you know, staying abreast on, you know, permit procedures and the process and, you know, the logistics of, you know, a project, when it, when are parts due and when are people scheduled. So, I mean, just typical kind of stuff. Here recently, we spent a lot of time, you know, some of our guys spent a lot of time going to these different conferences, you know, across the country. That's one of the things that there's a lot of travel involved, a lot of different conferences, trade shows and the like to really be on the, the circuit, per se, in air quotes, because, you know, most of the people in this industry, that's how they meet each other or through these those kind of events, these industry type of events. Okay. When you hire people, what kind of skills are you going to be looking for? First and foremost, whoever comes to work with Brevian Energy has to share in our passion and commitment for bringing these technologies to the communities that we're bringing them to. Because we are, we are first and foremost, a purpose-driven business, right? So without that purpose, uh, that's what gets us through those difficult times that you talked about. You know, you ask, how do we get through difficult times? And it's that, it's that commitment to purpose. We're, just, we're not just out here trying to make a book. We're out here trying to change lives. So I need to understand if you're coming to be a part of our organization, that you have that same commitment. We can teach you all kinds of skills or our processes, how we do things. You know, you can always get trained on how to be a better electrician or how to be a better project manager, but nobody can train you to care. You have to have that inside. So that's really important for us is we want people who care, who see this as not just a job, but a mission and a journey. Okay. So go back to the training. So if you were going to hire somebody, you would have, you would put them through some sort of training scheme. And then what would happen after that then? I mean, training, we don't look at it as a one-time thing. We train you to do your job and that's it. I mean, training is an ongoing process, you know, hard skills and soft skills. I mean, so we, we have training on, you know, how to perform self-care. We have training on how to deal with, you know, your coworkers, <laughs> you know, we have, you know, not, not just training on your job per se, but, you know, we, we believe in a, in a culture of learning. So we're always looking to improve um, at every level. Okay. So is there anything that you still want to achieve doing this? Have you still got? Uh, our goal is to, you know, right now we are focusing on projects in the state of California, but we want to replicate these programs to go nationwide. As we mentioned, there's a big need in our southern and southeast states. And from there, we want to scale our services to include, you know, emerging markets in Africa and Central America, because those are community. We want to help all communities everywhere, not just here in America. So we see the need for these services in a lot of these different emerging markets as well. Okay. Do you want anything that I should highlight, actually? I know right now we are, we have our eyes set on a project here locally in San Diego that is a closed landfill, but sits in one of those lower to medium income communities that we talked about. So we're looking to work with the city to get a lease for that property. It's about 80 acres or so. Right now, they are piping out the methane that's being produced from the decaying waste 
and pipe it across the street to another facility and burn it off. Uh, we want to be able to capture that methane and deploy hydrogen fuel cells and have them provide the energy for those to provide that base load power and also include solar panels and some battery storage to be able to help the citizens of that community of the surrounding community save on their energy costs. So not only will we help to take out that methane that's being just burned off and released into the atmosphere in that community, but we can utilize it to actually subsidize the electricity costs for people that people in that neighborhood. And here in San Diego, we have the highest electricity rates in all of America. Do you? How is that? How is it? It's cause of a company called San Diego gas and electric. Yeah. So we have the highest utility rates and for us, our utility is priced on a tiered basis. So we have three different tiers. We have an, what's called super off peak is like between 9 p.m. and 6.59 a.m. Then we have off peak, which is 7 a.m. to 3.59 p.m. And then we have peak time, which is 9 a.m. Excuse me, which is 9, uh, 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. During that time, which is the time when most people are home and cooking and washing clothes and doing whatever they do, the price is as high as 55 cents per kilowatt. That's extraordinary. I think they want to try and do that. They want to try and do that in the UK, but they haven't been successful, actually. Oh, yeah, it's been very expensive. It is expensive. So what we can do is defer those, is uh, avoid those costs by deploying battery systems that uh, in the evening when the solar stops producing, you can switch your load to the battery instead of pulling from the grid at those expensive rates. Okay. And that's how, that's how we can, you know, effectively reduce, particularly here in California, it's, you know, a no brainer in San Diego that we can reduce your, your costs right off top. Okay. So by, you're... by at least a third. By a third. That's quite a lot. It is quite better. a lot. That would be quite a lot for a lot of people, actually. Absolutely. So if you could turn back time, what piece of advice would you give yourself? I would say uh, I would probably have gotten started earlier in this business. But although I think we did pick the right time, I wouldn't have started during COVID. I would have you know, kind of warned myself, hey, man, COVID is coming up <laughs> if I could turn back time. But I think we're actually in this business at the exact right time. You know, this is a great time to be here. Prior to the past couple of years, it was kind of a risky proposition. But with all of the government funding that has been made available and the overall attitude between, you know, of people has really been changing over the few past years where these technologies are, are much more accepted now than they were even, say, five years ago. Uh, I think it's a great time to be in this industry. It's growing and the great part about what we do is everybody needs what we produce. They most certainly do. And what you're doing is amazing, actually, considering the, considering the amount of restrictions that you have, you have against you. So that's all the questions I have today. I would like to thank Rod for your time. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening and see you next time. 
That brings us to the end of another episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, I'd like to gently encourage you to leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with another person. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or via my website, www.michellefraserconsultancy.com. Thanks again for listening and see you next week.